the fall and what that means to us. Now, I'm going to put a little disclaimer out here before we get started. Uh, if you don't agree with me on the historical end of this, it's okay. All right? But uh, throughout my life, I have kind of looked at Adam as kind of that imbecile. Like, why did you eat of that fruit? I mean, thanks a lot, Adam, right? We always, we always kind of blame him. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we're going to talk a little deeper about that because I think there's more to it. Uh, another disclaimer. He said that my brain's so big that it pushes my hair out. It's actually the opposite. My brain is so small, there's nothing to hold the hair in. Chris's brain is big enough to hold his hair in. So it, it's the opposite problem. I really don't, uh, yeah, no, I, I even told him. I said, I just in the last three years have discovered something. One of two things is happening. I am either getting a lot dumber or I'm getting wiser and finally realizing how dumb I've always been. <laughs> One of those two is happening. So anyway, um, we're going to uh, pray and then we'll get right into it and we'll see how far we can get. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to, to study your word deeper. And I ask that as we leave here today, that we would know you better, that we would be able to give you thanks and honor and glory for the work that you have done, the work that you are doing, and the work that you will do when you return. You are the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And we pray, Father, that someday we will be able to say the one who is and who was, because you will be here. And so prepare us for that day, and let us now just give you our all. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, just in case, I, I want to let you know, too, I am giving you a tiny bit of an eight-part series that I put together on uh, the fall here. And so if you want to know more, you can find it at our Patreon account. Now, um, you might even be able to find some things on YouTube, but... Uh, Patreon has, we do a weekly Bible study and all that thing that's posted up there as well. So anyway, just so, just so that you know if you want to hear more. Now in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, I'm going to give you a little idea of when I read Scripture, I don't look at it as just history. I believe it is history, don't take me wrong, but I look at it looking for Jesus. Because Scripture is about Jesus. It isn't about just the historical event. It's how does that historical event point us to Jesus. And even the story of creation, oftentimes we've made it just about, oh, well, how did we get here? Well, here it is, the historical event that happened right there. No, there's more to it. He's pointing us to something deeper. Because if it was just about history, I mean, imagine throughout the last 6,000 years how much history could be recorded. Why does he pick the stuff that he does? Well, it's because he wants you to see him more. And so when it says, and he, God, brought her, Eve, to the man, Adam, we look at that as, okay, I get it, you know, just the historical aspect. However, there is a spiritual message that I believe is here because the Bible tells us that Adam is a type of Christ. We know Joseph is a type of Christ. I mean, there's over a hundred parallels between Joseph and Jesus. 
We know Moses is a type of Christ. We know David is a type of Christ. The Bible, as you're going to see, tells us Adam is a type of Christ. I get Moses. I get Joseph. I get David. But Adam, the imbecile? How? It just doesn't really seem to, to click for me. Well, what I find fascinating is that, you know, the Bible tells us that there is only one way that you get to Jesus. And that is if the Father draws you. And what you're going to see is that God is the one that is going to present you to Jesus. Eve is the bride. Adam, a type of Christ. That means Eve is a picture of you, us, the bride of Christ. You see, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. He says that in John. And so this is the kind of picture we're seeing. In verse 23, it goes on and it says, Adam says, she shall be called woman. Now in Hebrew, it's Isha. And we kind of can see it in English or in Hebrew, but we see that the name is very similar. They're, they're kind of united and bonded together. Man is Ish, woman is Isha. Like man and whoa, man. Right? I think that's what when God said, here's Eve, he's, whoa, man. Okay? But we see the name man in woman. We see the name Ish in Isha. So, Resisting the urge to tell a joke here. I, I, I'm gonna, okay. <laughs> anyway, Adam says she shall be called woman or Isha. Now, what we see is that this is the very first recorded words in the Bible as far as what Adam says. I, I'm sure maybe there were other things, but as far as what God wanted you to know, this is the first time the words are recorded. What is so important about the very first thing that Adam says? You shall be called woman. Okay? That, that's kind of important. You are woman. Well, look at this. In Zechariah chapter 14, 9, first of all, uh, speaking about end times, if you go look at Zechariah 14, it says, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. You see, when the Lord comes back, we are united. His name is one. There's, it's not an accident that we are called Christians today, that we have taken upon the name of Christ in our identity. Christians, Christ, right? And so we have become one, just as Ish and Isha, or man and woman. We are Christians. John 14, 20 says, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I think that's the picture that is being seen. This is why he says, you shall be called. There's a unity that is seen. We also see this as well. When Adam confesses her name, you are called woman, look what happens when the Lord is going to present you to the bride. Remember in Revelation, we're going to see that there's a wedding banquet of the Lamb. We're his bride, but we're kind of engaged at this time, betrothed to him. But there's a time when there will be a wedding banquet, and you know what's going to happen? You are going to be presented, given a new name, and 
He is going to confess your name before the Father. Look, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name, that's the bride, before my Father. So Adam, as a Christ figure, saying, you are a woman, confessing her name before the Father is exactly what's going to happen to you at end times. Is not that going to be a wonderful day when Jesus is going to confess your name and say, look, this is my bride. With all pride, with all joy, he's going to confess your name you know, I think of that when I remember being a kid and when you would get an award at school or something and to hear the guy up top pronounce your name, it's just like, ooh, kind of makes you feel good. can't even imagine what that's going to be like. And this is what creation is about. It isn't just about, is the earth 6,000 years or millions of years? It's not millions of years, just to let you know, just in case you're wondering. But that's not what it's about. Sure, there's truth to those things, the historical aspect, but you need to be looking for Jesus because there's a deeper spiritual understanding here. So anyway, we're going to move on here. The key verse that we're going to look at today is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and a little bit beyond there, verse 6, I mean. It says, when the woman saw, this is when the fall is going to take place. Satan is going to try and get her to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'm not going to dive too deep into that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it is, it's, it's amazing when we really study that. But bottom line is, it says, when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. There were three things that she's going to fall for here. I've got them highlighted in yellow. Good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Now, the first thing, though, is when she saw. The devil's goal for you is to get your eyes off of Jesus. As soon as you take your eyes off of him into this world, he's got you right where he wants you. And this is his plan all along. And what he is doing is he is sowing discontentment in your life, when you take your eyes off of him, he begins to sow discontentment. And what we see is that this is exactly what happens with the woman's live movement. He tries to sow discontentment in the lives of, of many of you women and you young girls. He's saying, all you really want to do is be a wife and take care of your kids. I mean, where's the, where's the honor in that? That, that? That's just this poor little thing. That, that's a terrible thing. There's no pleasure in that. There's no reward in that. I mean, where's the honor? You could have so much more. You could be so much more. You know what the devil's doing? He's trying to rob you of the blessing God has promised in the role of a woman. There is no more honorable, no greater role and job than to be a loving, submissive wife and a godly mother for your children. There is no greater blessing. And the Bible is filled with promises and blessings for doing that very thing. But the devil says, no, 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 no. You, you would not be content doing that. And I mean, 
I could show you quotes upon quotes of, of people, you know, from Planned Parenthood or other women's lib movement talking about how menial your job is to clean the house and do this and that, because that's what they want to do. They want you to take your eyes off of the promises of God, the blessings that God wants for you, and put it onto the world and, and the things of the flesh. But I'm not going to get into that tonight. I just want you to think about that for this morning. You see, the devil is always going to come as a liberator, an angel of light, somebody here to help you see the world better. To get your eyes off of the Word of God and the promises that He has for you so that you are blessed and fulfilled and so that not only does your household run better, but the world will run better as well. It says, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. We're going to talk about that later. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I'm sure Chris has taught you some of this already, but I, growing up, I always thought Adam and Eve were just, you know, naked. And that they were walking around in the nude and had no shame and they were fine. Well, there's some truth to that, but I don't think they were naked. I don't think that you would have looked at Eve and saw the flesh. I think that you would have seen the glory of God. It's just like what is it Isaiah, which says that God clothes himself with light as with a garment. You see, His glory shines. That's the Shekinah or Shekinah glory of God. And what we see is that if God is clothed in glory and we were made in His image, I think Adam and Eve, before the fall, were clothed in glory. Sure, they didn't have clothes on, so in that sense they were naked, but when they looked at each other, they didn't see the flesh. They saw the Spirit and they saw the glory of God. And that is why there is a different word used for naked here than there is after the fall. Arom and Erom after the fall. That word after the fall means to be completely naked. Because when the fall came, when sin came, then the glory departed. And now they could see they were no longer covered with light and with glory and with perfection. And so as a result, they needed to make fig leaves. Another side note, but I think one worth mentioning here. So I want to focus on these three things that the devil is throwing at Eve here. These three things in yellow. Good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable for making wisdom. Look at what 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says. It says, for all that is in the world, not just some, all. In other words, you're going to be able to take every sin that you could ever imagine in this world, and it will fall under one of these three categories. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Notice those very same three things that Eve fell to. It says is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. In essence, Satan threw everything at that woman. Everything. 
and she fell for every part of it. Satan doesn't change his game. He's not doing anything different for you than he did with Eve. He wants you to get your eyes off of the Father on the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. But the good news is this. You will fail. But somebody has been successful in your stead. You remember when he is tempted, the devil tempts Jesus? I'm not going to go through all of the verses, but you can go read this in Matthew chapter 4. We see the devil, he takes him up and he says, after he's been fasting for 40 days, after Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, I think he was probably pretty hungry. He was full man. And he says, if you really are God, take these stones and turn them into bread. I'd say he probably had some lust of the flesh at that time. Man, I I would love to make some bread right now. Does he? No, he says, it is written. Guys, we have to train ourselves that we don't fall for every whim and, and idea and experience that is out there in the world. But we have to go to the Word of God. We were just talking about this this morning, about how, how much I appreciate your pastor. Because he is rare. I think I put it this way, he's not normal. Okay? <laughs> yeah. It is so rare to find pastors today who believe what they believe, not because it's what their church doctrine just taught them, not because it's an experience they had, but because it's what the Word says. That's why you need to be praying for him all the time. Seriously, because Satan is going to want to go after him. Satan's going to want to get him to be deceived, not to have that discerning spirit. He's going to go after you. You need a leader that can protect you, that can watch out. And we're going to talk about this protection in a minute. But he has been called to shamar, is the Hebrew word, to protect you, to be a protector of his home. And that is what Adam was called to do, was to protect his wife, to protect even the garden, as I'll show you here in a moment. But the point is, is that the devil throws this lust of the flesh at Jesus, and he says, it is written. He passes that test. He doesn't fall for it. So the devil doesn't quit. He's persistent. And let me tell you, you might pass one test, but he's coming after you again. You've got to be persistent, more persistent than he is. He takes him up and he says, look at all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you. Now, growing up, I used to think, what do you mean he's going to give Jesus these kingdoms? Jesus owns them. He owns the world. Uh-uh. That's not entirely true. God created the world, and do you know what he did? He said, hey, Adam, I'm giving you dominion over all of it. Dominion, that's power. Adam had complete authority, complete dominion over the complete creation. And then, when sin came into the world, he lost it. Where did that dominion go? Did it go back to God? It went to the devil. And this is exactly why the Bible says the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
You see, the devil is prince of the world. And do you know that we see, it is not until in Revelation chapter 11, do we see that it says, when the seventh trumpet blows, it says, now the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. And the time to reward his saints has come. You see, the devil did have the right and the authority and the dominion to say, I'll give these to you. Now, he was lying, I'm sure. There's no way he was going to give those to God. God was going to have to do it in the proper way, through the cross. Through paying for sin, rising, and being able to take that power back. But, he says, I'll give all of these. And does Jesus say, oh, man, I would like to get them back, and I wouldn't, I'd like to do it without having to go to the... No, it is written. It is written. Takes them to the Word. Third thing, he takes them up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, if you really are God... Oh, by the way, lust of the eyes. Look at all these beautiful kingdoms, right? Okay, now the third one, if you really are God, prove it. Cast yourself down. Because... It's written. Now the devil takes them to the word. It is written that the angels will guard you. They'll protect you. Now, by the way, the devil kind of misquotes the scripture there. And let me tell you, that is what's happening in church upon church upon church in America today. And this is why the church is so weak. Because we don't know what the scripture says. We don't study it. We just want pastor to tell you what it means. No, it, it, it's more than that. You need to know what the word of God says because I'll tell you what, pastor's not going to be there when the devil's coming to you every waking moment of the day. You need to know the word because all that Satan did was left out four words, in all your ways. Quoting Psalm 91, I believe it is. That's what's happening in churches upon churches today. We're taking Scripture out of context. We don't let Scripture interpret Scripture. We'll leave little parts out, just give this little sound bite, but let's not look at what's before it. Let's not look at what's after it. The devil will use Scripture against you if you do not know the Scriptures well. Point being, Jesus passes this test again. It is written. But the pride of life, he succeeded where you failed. The lust of the flesh, he succeeds where you fail. The lust of the flesh, he succeeds where you fail. With the lust of the eyes, all of it. Praise be to God. We need him. He's not just nice, he's necessary. Anyway. I want to take you here to 2 Timothy 2.25. It says this, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God, in, or if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. We are in humility to go and correct those around us. That's what we do, to protect to protect one another, we have to say, hey, stop. This pornography that you're watching, you're not only destroying your family, you're destroying your life, your own 
flesh. You're destroying our community. You're destroying, you're, you're contributing to the sex trafficking. You're contributing to, to all the evils of this world. I need to, in humility, come to you and correct those who are in opposition to God's word. Because I want you to understand that it says the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I want you guys to know something. All of you are serving either the devil or God. No in between. Okay? You might not even be religious and say, well, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. I don't believe in the devil. I don't, there's just nothing. You're still serving the devil. How do you serve? How do you worship God? Obedience. Following him is a form of worship. Singing is obedience. You either serve God or you serve the devil with every action that you do in a sense. Now, I'm not saying because we all disobey, we all sin at times, that all of a sudden I'm a devil worshiper. But nonetheless, he does receive that little aspect of worship. You're just forgiven because you're in Christ. But my point being is all of us either serve God or the devil. That ought to make us say with every, you know, examine every action, every belief, every word that comes out of our mouth. Now, again, I'm not talking salvation. I'm not talking, okay, okay, I just had an evil thought. I just worshiped the devil. And I'm, no, I'm a Christian. I worship God. But we have to realize that obedience is worship. And what we're facing in this Garden of Eden is a battle for worship. What does the devil want? He wants worship. He wants what belongs to God. He wants to be like God. And he wants your worship. And he wants Eve's worship here. He wants Adam's worship. And to get it, all he has to do is get you to disobey. That's the battle that's going on here. Now what I want you to see as well is that Eve is going to fall into sin without consulting her husband. I don't believe that Eve was the primary target here. I think Adam was. And you think, yeah, but the devil went to Eve. I know. Because the devil's not dumb. I think he was going after Adam through Eve. Now, I'm going to kind of, I think, support that. But you need to understand this. How do you make a house fall? Go after the head. Who's the head of the house? God appointed Adam to be head. God has appointed every man here to be the head. And let me tell you something, men. If the devil's going to get after you, you know he's, what he's going to want to do? I think he's going to want to do the same thing, and he's going to want to go through your wife. Now, wives, before you get too upset, just hear me out. I'm not done. But there is truth to this. I believe that the most powerful part of the family is the woman. In this idea of, and I know women struggle with this. My wife, my daughter, I think all, probably almost every woman struggles with this idea of the role of a woman in Scripture. And you feel like you're weak and not as important and not as lifted up. Nothing could be further from the truth. I think you are the most powerful. 
but we have different roles, and we need to, to understand that. I'll, I'll address it a little bit, but I'll tell you what. I don't think that the devil went after Eve, and then she gave some to Adam, and he's like, oh, yes, a two for one. I wasn't expecting that. He knew. He knew what he was doing, and he was using the woman to do it. The male being the head is important. We're going to talk about that coming up here. Now, I want to take you to uh, Second Enoch. Now, I'm not saying Enoch is scripture. I don't believe that it is uh, an inspired word. I do believe that it is a very spiritual book, and it was held in high spiritual esteem by the Jews, by the early King James Version, by all kinds of things, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But even the Jews didn't have it in their canonized scripture. Okay? But I think sometimes, just like we can quote Josephus, you know, Josephus says this, and it gives us some insight into some things sometimes. Or we might quote Luther or Calvin or Wesley or a number of other early church fathers to give us a better understanding. That's what I'm doing here. When we look at 2 Enoch, it says this. The devil understood his condemnation and the sin which he had sinned before. Therefore, he conceived thought against Adam. In other words, he wanted to go against, he wanted to get Adam. In such form, in that way, he entered and seduced Eve, but did not touch Adam. Even Enoch is telling us Adam was the prime target, not Eve. He just had to get to that target by going through the woman. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach her to have authority over a man to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, we could talk about a ton of things in this verse, but the part I want you to focus on right now is this. Adam was not deceived? Wait a minute. He's the imbecile. He's the one that we're, we're in this mess because of Adam. But wait a minute. When I go back to... It was Eve that ate of the tree first. What does this mean? Adam was not deceived. Huh. Well, just know that's Scripture. Those aren't my words. That's what Scripture's telling us. Rabbi Eliezer, sometimes called Eliezer the Great. Now, uh, he was from the first century. To give you an idea of how important this guy is, he was a teacher of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva claimed to basically, uh, well, he claimed that this guy was a, a messiah in what's called the Barcoba Revolt. He was actually, um, he was married to the daughter of Gamliel. Gamliel is the guy Paul learned under. So we're like really close to, the, to Jesus here. Okay? Now, I'm not saying Rabbi Eliezer is this great guy or anything like that, but what I'm saying is I want you to see their understanding of the creation story in the fall. This is what he says. The serpent argued with itself, saying, if I go and speak to Adam, I know that he will not listen to me, for a man is always hard to persuade. We know men are not good listeners, right? But behold, I will speak to Eve, for I know that she will listen to me, for a woman listens to all creatures. I know you women are thinking, yeah, I like this guy, right? 
No, you're, you're thinking you male chauvinist pig. I know it kind of sounds that way, but that's not really what he's saying. He's saying what I was mentioning before. It, it's quite the opposite, that a woman is like an idiot. No, he's saying, no, a woman is powerful. A man is hard to persuade, but you go through the woman, that man will listen to her. Adam was untouchable. As I said before, he had all dominion, he had all authority, and so the devil knew he's hard to persuade. The devil knew I can't get Adam to eat. I have to get a back door. That's what Rabbi Ali Eliezer is saying, their understanding of this. Not that you are the weak link, not at all, but rather your power. And women, I want you to understand this because this is vital. You were created to be a help meet for your husbands. You young girls out there that aren't married yet, I want you to take this and take it to heart and begin to prepare yourself to be the help meet that God has created you to be, called you to be. Because you will, not might, will influence your husband. And you have the power to either push and lead him towards Christ or to push and lead him away from Christ. I can't tell you how many times I see women not encouraging their husbands to, to do the things that they're supposed to be doing. Now, I realize we're all sinful. Men, I, we'll get to men. I know men aren't doing their jobs. I know they've fallen asleep. I know they're not protecting. That word place, when, when it says in Scripture that Adam was placed in the garden, that word placed is shamar. In Hebrew, it literally protected. He was placed or put in the garden to protect it. Men, your role is to protect your home, to protect your garden, to protect your spouse. But women, your role is to be that help meet to make sure that your husband doesn't not protect. That's a big responsibility and extremely important when we see women. All I know is you will influence. And it's taken me 30 years to finally figure out that I need to listen to my wife a little bit more. Because I think a woman is so much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than most men are. And time and time, my wife says, I don't think you should do that, or I don't think you should say that. And I'm like, no, it sounds good to me. I think, you know, they need to hear it. And sure enough, it backfires on me. A woman is to be that helpmeet. And when they are in the Word, and they're in prayer, and they're loving and being submissive, and they're doing what their role is, they're a helpmeet for that husband. But when they're not, and they're just going to be that dripping faucet the scriptures talk about, and they're discouraging, and they're doing whatever they want, and there's, there's no respect, and there's none of, they're not helping or, or being a help meet for that husband. They're help pushing him away, angry. Again, there's sin on both sides. I realize that. But what I want you women to understand is the power and the influence that you have. And I'm telling you, it is biblical. But before I get to the biblical, I, I, this amazes me. This, this is true. I will open up the fridge 
to look for the ketchup, and I know that if I can't find it, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm going to take a little rasin. So I will scan intentionally every single shelf. No ketchup, no ketchup. I'll scan every shelf on the door, no ketchup. And then I'll say, Tara, where's the ketchup? It's in the fridge. No, it's not. And I'm feeling confident. And she will come in, and it's right there. I mean, it is right in front. And I'm like, the devil has got to have some little demons hiding ketchup until I turn to call my wife, and he puts it back, because it's not there. And then it's right there. I know. I know it. I cannot figure this out. It is so true, though. We are created differently. I know society is telling you that there's no difference between a man and a woman. But I want you to know something. Even the devil knew there was. If he knows, I think we ought to be able to figure that out. Guys, we have different roles. And you've heard me say it before. It's not a matter of equality. It's a matter of roles. What's better, a horse or a cow? I don't know. It depends on what you want. If you want milk for the cereal, take the cow. If you want to ride into town, the horse is a much better choice. It isn't one is better than the other, but we are created with different roles. A woman is important. But I want you to see when Moses is entering the promised land, look what he says here in chapter 7, verse 4 of Deuteronomy. For they, women, will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. If you marry foreign wives, it's not like they might turn the men away. They will, because they are so powerful, so influential. They will. We can even see um, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. What was his downfall? Women. Yep. He went through his wives. And this is why, guys, you are not to be unequally yoked. You better not be missionary dating or dating some ungodly woman. Because I'm telling you something, she will, not might, will influence you. And you need, because you're too dumb, we are, you will fall for it. I could give you scripture upon scripture. Ahab, wicked, wicked king. Why? A woman, Jezebel. Right? It says, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. How about Samson? A woman. How about the, the plagues of, uh, at Beor? Balaam. Remember, Balaam couldn't curse the Israelites. God wouldn't let him do that, so what does he do? He says, come here. I can't curse Israel, but they can curse themselves. All you got to do is get the women to come into town. Yep, it was the women. I could give you example upon example. Second Kings, Jehoram. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel just as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. Why? For the daughter of Ahab. See, women, you're not weak. 
You're powerful. That's important to know. The devil is, not might, is going to look for an opportunity to use you against your husband. Against your pastor, perhaps. That's not a maybe. Again, I'm not saying women are weak. It's the opposite. And this is why I'm so thankful for these godly women of Scripture like Ruth and Esther and Rahab and Sarah and others that are mentioned in Scripture. Anyway, let's get back to our verse here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You see, I always think every picture we see of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is what? Adam and Eve standing by the tree, munching away. I personally now do not believe Adam was there. I think the picture should have Eve there by herself. You go, well, you can't say that. It says right here he was with her. I don't think it means that he was with her right there by the tree. I think it simply means he was with her in the garden. I don't know what it was like. There's no dialogue that's recorded of, hey, look, you know, did she just come home and say, hey, dear, look what I got at the grocery store. Ooh, that looks good. You know, there's no dialogue. We don't know what's happening. I think it just means he was there with them at the garden, with Eve there. I think that somehow she took it to him. Now, again, as I said to begin with, if you don't agree with me, I'm okay with that. But you're going to understand why I think that here in a moment. It could be read either way. But the, the big picture tends to make me think he wasn't there next to her. He was only there with her in the garden. All right? So the eyes of them are both open. They sow fig trees and so on, or fig leaves. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Why doesn't it say Eve? She was the one that ate. She was the one the devil came to. She was the one that, you know, munched down on it first. Why is Adam blamed? Because he's the head. He is the head. Guys, you got marriage problems? Who's to blame? Head. What are you doing that's wrong? What are you doing not to love and protect your wife? Now, I'm not saying that there may not be some unusual circumstance out there. But I'm saying this, 99% of the time when I do marriage counseling and whatnot, it's the man's fault. Oh, I know the woman is being intolerably just awful. Why, though? What are you doing? Or what are you not doing? If a company goes under, do you blame the employee? No, it's the guy in charge. When you lose a battle, who do you blame? The general. 
Adam was put in the garden. He was the one that was to be the protector. He was the one that wasn't. And yet, he now then is blamed. He bears the responsibility. Now that is extremely important. The guy in charge bears the responsibility. Now, I could give you examples. I'm not going to read through this, but in the book of Numbers, we even see a vow when a woman makes a vow. Do you know if her husband says no? Her vow didn't mean anything because he bears the responsibility. Rabbi Eliezer, you women's favorite guy here, again, he says this, Eve tried to persuade Adam, basically is what he's going to say, didn't want to, she didn't want to die by herself. So she, knew, she ate of the tree, she knew she did wrong, and so she goes to Adam and says, eat. Let me show you what he says. The serpent went and said to the woman, Behold, I touched the tree, but I did not die. You also may touch it, and you will not die. Again, another one of the devil's tricks that we keep falling for. Did God really say? No. I touched it. I didn't die. This sin isn't going to hurt you. A little bit of pornography, looking at it, it you're, you're strong enough in your faith. It won't affect you at all. It's okay. People are doing it all the time. He goes, the woman went and touched the tree. As soon as she touched it, what happened? She saw the angel of death coming towards her and said, Woe is me! I shall now die, and the Holy One, blessed be he, he will make another woman and give her to Adam. But behold, I will cause him to eat with me. If we shall die, we shall both die, and if we shall live, we shall both live. Now again, not Scripture. This is Rabbi Eliezer, their understanding of what was going on in the Garden of Eden. Basically saying this, the woman was going to basically, it's just human nature, right? When you get in trouble, you want others to go down with you. Or the other aspect of, I'm not going to let anybody else have my man. Jealousy. That's the woman's end of it. But what was Adam thinking? Well, we know what the Bible says a role of a man is. I've already talked about shamaring, protecting. Malachi says, The Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? Ish, isha. In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. It's that exact same Hebrew word that's used there in the garden. Man is to protect his wife. Remember 1 Timothy? Adam was not deceived. Now, I look at it this way. Eve munches on the, the fruit. She takes it to Adam. Listen, Satan, whatever the dialogue would have been, and he eats it, that sounds like a deception to me. Unless that's not what was going on. If he was there with her, and he listening to the devil, and not saying, oh, don't listen to him. And she, you know, he... he that sounds like a deception to me. 
The only way to get around this not being a deception is that Adam was willing to eat of that fruit. Hmm. Could it be? Could it be? Again, if you disagree, it's okay. But there's going to be a point here regardless that I think you'll have to accept. Could it be that he was protecting his wife? Remember what Rabbi Eliezer thought that Eve was saying? If we live, we both live. If we die, we both die. And could it be that he loved his wife so much that he was willing to lay his own life down for her? You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 clearly tells us Adam is a picture of Christ. Like I said, I'm not just making that up. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It makes that comparison. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So as I look at this comparison between Adam and Christ, I... Basically, okay, so Adam was the first person and, you know, that you know, died, and Jesus is the first person who conquers the death. You know, I don't know. That's not much of a Christ figure to me. There's got to be more. Check this one out. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So here, it's clearly saying Adam is a pattern of Jesus. How? Being an imbecile? Now, you can read this in two different ways, but I think I'm reading it this way now. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who didn't sin. Well, yes, Adam you know, those who did not sin by breaking a command, and you kind of think, as did Adam, like Adam didn't break a command. Right? But he ate. Well, maybe he wasn't breaking a command as in willingly sinning, but he laid down his life. Who did not sin, by breaking a command. I don't know. I can tell you this, though. Genesis 3.12 is the other thing that people say, no, that, that just can't be right, because look, the man said, the woman, remember God comes to him and says, well, why are, you, know, you guys are naked, what happened? Did you eat of the tree? And Eve says, the snake made me do it. Adam says, the woman made me do it. That's what we hear all the time, pointing fingers, blaming. Okay, maybe. Or maybe he's just stating the facts. You know the woman you put with me? She gave me some. I ate it. I ate it. I chose to die with her. For her. A confession of sins. What happened to Jeet? Yep. The woman you gave me, this is what happened. I confess. Just the truth. Could be read that way. 
I can tell you this, when you read in Hebrews, it says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. I'll tell you what, if you were a Jew in the first century reading this in Hebrews, might taste death, you know where your mind would have gone? All the way back to the Garden of Eden. I think that he is saying, just as Jesus tasted death for you, Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come, tasted death for Eve, his bride, to step in for her. So whether you agree with this interpretation or not, I'm okay with. But I'll tell you this, this is the truth. That is exactly what Jesus did for you. He stepped in to protect you. You have made a choice to be in rebellion. And he comes in and he says, I don't want you to die. If we die, we both die. If we live, we're both going to live. I am stepping in for you. Now, to me anyway, I see how Adam was a pattern of the one to come. That not only did, is he proclaiming his bride before his father. He is proud of his bride. But he was willing to die for her. Men, at the very least, you also have to admit this. This is the attitude you ought to have for your wife. Your future wives, guys. You ought to be willing to take a bullet for her. That you have an attitude that there is nothing that is going to get to her to, you know, damage, to hurt, to wound. And I'm not just talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual as well. Because that's what your call is to do, to protect. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Is that what Adam did? He who knew no sin chose to be sin for his wife, as Christ did for you. At the very least, rather than reading this story of the fall and seeing Adam as some imbecile that we have thrown under the bus for all these years, that it should point us to Christ and make us be grateful for what he has done for us. That's what I want you to take home with you, is realize what Jesus has done. It has taken this, some spiritual kind of, not very tangible idea, and we see in Adam and Eve, it makes it tangible. This is what Jesus did for you. Don't forget that. Because that, there is no greater love than what he has done. And that's how much he loves you. That's how much it grieves when we are straying that he, he's willing to, to give it all up so that you can be forgiven and live with him. He wants to live with you forever and ever and ever. I think Adam wanted to be with Eve forever and ever and ever, no matter what it took. I'm going to close with this. I want that attitude. I read about Paul and Moses, and I don't get it. Just can't fathom it. Moses, 
you got all these idiots complaining, pointing fingers at him. You did this, you did that. Moses, you, you think you're so great. Nothing but complain. God takes him up on the mountain, and God says to Moses, get away from him. I'm going to wipe him out. Me? I just said, finally. Thank you. I have been waiting for this. What's Moses say? As a Christ figure, no. No, Lord. Blot me out of the book of life. Don't do that. Wow. He's not saying, okay, I'll, I'll take a beating, I'll take a whooping for him. Blot me out of the book of life. He's saying, I will choose to go to hell for the sake of these people. I think that's what Adam did. I'll go to hell for her, for my bride. That's what Jesus did for you. Paul says the same thing in the New Testament. I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own brothers, the people of Israel. Not a taking a beating, cut off from Christ. These people who were beating him, leaving him for dead, trying to kill him everywhere he turned, and he says, no, I could wish that I was cursed. That's what Jesus did. I think that's what Adam did. This is not unusual in a Christ figure. I want to be that. I'm not there yet. I want to be there for all these lost people that are in your community and my community that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That listen to my words and think I'm an idiot and don't pay any attention to it or whatever the case might be. I want to be the person that says, no, I'd go to hell for you. Even though you are so mean to me, you, 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 you're just awful, I want to love you like Christ loves me. Take that with you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word again. And thank you for stepping in and becoming sin for us when you knew no sin. God, we love you. And I just pray that your love for us would help us to understand just a little bit more the depth of that love that we would in turn respond as you said, the man who has been forgiven much loves much. Lord, help us to love much. Not just you, but to those around us. As you said, when did we see you thirsty and we didn't give you something to drink? When were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When were you in prison and we didn't come to visit? You didn't do it to the least of these. You didn't do it to me, you said. Lord, let us love those that seemingly are unlovable in the flesh. In the name of Jesus, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Wow. What a challenge, guys. So let's step up, okay? Let's examine the scriptures. Let's spend time in the Word. Um, we're going to dismiss. I know it may seem a little early. Is the fundraiser at Pizza Ranch, is that tomorrow? Tomorrow night. So if you guys get an opportunity, head over to the Pizza Ranch at Maryville tomorrow. Support CMA a little bit. They'll be there uh, kind of bus tables, right? getting refills, and foot massages. Am I right? No? 
Anyway, if you get an opportunity, I know we're going to go over, and if anybody wants a ride to go with us, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, so it'll be a good time. So God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you Wednesday.